We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Adam McGee. And I'm Andrew Schneider. And you're listening to Make Time for This, probably part of the Eurostep Podcast Network and the Blue Wire Podcast family. This week, we're going to talk a little bit about, I guess we're talking about TV. We are talking about a TV series, a documentary series of sorts. And we're also talking about professional golf. So it's something of a sports TV hybrid it's exactly the kind of thing that this feed exists for, that there's no concern of, is this really what we do, or is this not what we do? And I'm very excited for it. Joining me as always here on my podcast is my good friend, Andrew Snyder. How are you doing, Andrew? Uh, I'm great. I'm a frequent listener of the podcast. I'm excited to be on. Like I, I couldn't, couldn't be happier to take this slight detour into territory that is well covered in our private conversations but not covered publicly uh in our public conversations as as i've said many times we are uh semi-professionally friends uh online that is very true that's a true characterization um which yeah look there's worse there's worse things to could be and uh, we get to just talk about stuff we like we don't talk about golf very often I'm inclined to think that's a good thing, uh, just because we talk about a lot of the other things that we really like quite often, and it's good to just keep something clear of that. And golf is, for me, very much the thing where it is it's the only sport I watch which like truly is not work. There's not one ounce of it that is ever work. I think it is, um, because my actual day job takes in a lot of different sports, then my side project takes in basketball and baseball and also i guess packers football um so one of the things that is purely just it's like oh great i'm watching this because i love golf and i want to watch it is pj tour um and it has been a very very interesting year to 18 months for professional golf for the pga tour and some of that has been covered on 
the Netflix series, Full Swing, which dropped just last week. Um, for anyone who is not familiar, Full Swing is a series from the creators of Drive to Survive. Also, I can't remember the name now, but whatever, the tennis series um, that dropped on Netflix about a month ago. Same kind of idea. I think even anyone who hasn't watched Drive to Survive will have a sense of what this kind of project is. Um, beyond that, I mean, elements of it are similar to, I guess, what's been in Hard Knocks for years, right? And I'm going to look at the NFL and you've got Amazon's All or Nothing series where we've seen lots of different Premier League clubs, Serie A clubs, national teams and in soccer so this is a format that has become very very popular um is a way for mostly these streamers at this point to tap into sports without having to pay up the colossal rights up front to show sports every single week of the year let's start off andrew with full swing we'll get into a lot of i guess the golf stuff that comes up in it and towards the end we'll talk a little bit about the the PJ Tour season so far. Um, but where were you at? Were you anticipating this? Did this sound like something you were going to be interested in? Were you excited for this? I do believe I'm right in saying, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is somewhere where we differ and is valuable for this conversation that you were actually a Drive to Survive viewer. And it did successfully yeah. help get you into watching F1. So... In many ways, you are like exactly you're the kind of person that I guess Netflix have in mind for this, which is, okay, we can come in, we can make this show and we're really going to grab people's attention with this. And you're also the person that I guess the PGA Tour have in mind, although you watch PGA Tour content, they are looking for people who had a drive to survive-esque journey without doubt like you had, which is, oh, I'll fire up this thing on Netflix and then all of a sudden I'm watching every week, I'm invested in the players, I'm going to events and buying the product and so on and so on. Yeah, let me step back a little bit just to kind of unpack my golf fandom journey a little bit. Not, I won't go too much into detail there, but I think uh, I've always been kind of in and out of the PGA Tour. I don't think there's a year that would go by where I wasn't fully invested in the majors or the Ryder Cup, but I would I had not been really a week to week fan until the last year, except in 2009. I found out when my golf fandom peaked because of a recurring joke that my brother had. Uh, so 2009, the summer between uh, my junior and senior year in high school, and I was playing a couple times a week at this basically cow pasture of a course that no longer exists in my hometown. Um, that also coincided with the release of the movie Funny People, and Jordan said the only things you talk about are funny people in golf, uh, and that was a, a joke he will still make to me uh, to this day. So that's how I seared into Gosh. my brain when when the peak of my golf fandom was. Um, what kind of person is that? I'm just I'm just putting those pieces together. I don't know. You know, I love Sandler. Anyway, um, like and the Tiger and Phil era was something that was very compelling to me as a fan. I was uh a weird fan who really liked both of them. And if one of them was in contention, I wanted them to win. And I was fascinated by, um, kind of the, you were, you were Rob Lowe with the MLB yeah. hat. 
Uh, I was. Rublo was at Riviera last week. So even not, even not wearing then, a PGA Tour hat a lot. Even then, the storytelling aspect of golf really appealed to me. Tiger and his domination and just seeing a guy who is chasing history and legacy juxtapose with the guy who's chasing him and will never be as good. That was very compelling to me. And as time goes on and we learn more and more about Phil Mickelson, the fandom that I had for him once upon a time has eroded. I still find him a compelling figure, but for much different reasons. Um, and so in the last year, um, partially due to you getting me more invested in, and I'll plug another podcast on this podcast, uh, No Laying sure. Up, the, the Strap Series, Taurus Sauce, and then the existential crisis that golf has been facing uh, due to live has made me more invested in the PGA tour than I've ever been in the last year. And particularly this year, I've been watching week to week and just um, want to be a supporter of what the PGA tour is doing and how the game is evolving and the guys that are upholding the, the game and the history of the game and where it needs to go forward. I think I'm, I'm really compelled by that. So I was looking forward to full swing drive to survive was a big fan. I had not, uh, been an f1 fan at all and then i want to say two years ago now 2021 summer 2021 i went to uh, uh visit a buddy and he was like you have to watch this series um you'll get you know like you'll you'll love this sport afterwards and i do watch we f1 week to week now but it's much less compelling than golf i'll say just because of the nature of the the grid and who actually has a chance to do anything on a week to week basis. It's Max Verstappen or, or bus these days and no one else is really in the mix for a title. Whereas golf, you just have these week to week storylines that evolve. John Rob might <laughs> be approaching what is as close as possible in golf to what uh, Verstappen is doing in F1, but it's never going to be on that level because just of the nature of the game. So, because of the golf fandom evolving the way it has and me becoming more passionate about the PGA tour and my love of drive to survive and the compelling nature of that series, I was really looking forward to full swing. I'm going to give it a, a B rather than an A plus because it, it is a little guarded, but I will say that I really enjoyed the series. And as long as they keep pumping them out, I'll watch them just because I really like a lot of the guys on tour right now, and I think there are stories to be told, endless stories to be told up and down the leaderboards. Yeah, I guess to give a really quick version of my my golf story, it's probably 2003 or so that I, I got into golf, and I probably ever since then, if I'm not actively watching week to week, I'm certainly staying on top of all things PJ Tour. There's certainly some seasons in there where I would have watched every week, um, Tiger's influence on that and on my fandom of golf is undeniable. Uh, regularly in the past attended golf tournaments, the Irish Open here, which is a European Tour and a DP World Tour event. Been to a couple of Ryder Cups, been to an Open Championship. Um, you use the word compelling over and over and over again there, and I find that really interesting because I think golf is my incredibly bad. compelling. <laughs> No, no, I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't digging you for it. I think it's, it's a good word to use for the sport, and I think there's probably people who are listening. Although a lot of people just may not listen, they're like, "You're talking about golf this week? I'm out," because there is a, a vision that people who don't engage with golf, certainly professional golf as a sport, that they have. Oh, it's a boring product to watch. I don't 
I'm not interested. I don't like it. It's slow moving. The game is the game. And I think people can have their feelings about it or the criticisms or just not kind of latch into it. I do think professional golf delivers very engaging and I will use it compelling narratives week to week, day to day. And it is in part by the nature of sp- the sport, the openness of the sport. Um, again, I'm talking in a professional competitive sense, not in an everyday, oh, golf is open to everyone because that's certainly not the case. It gives you something that most other elite sports just do not deliver. There, There isn't a level of unpredictability, of excitement week to week, where really, as you pointed out, I mean, even someone like John Rahm, who's on a incredible run at the moment or if we want to go to tiger in his prime yeah those guys you might be able to say they're the best they're probably going to win a lot of the time they give themselves a chance but that doesn't mean that they're definitely going to win and on any given week the guy going up against them yeah it could be their biggest rival it could be number one versus number two or it could be number one against number 132 and if it's that guy's week they can give as good as they get and really push them um I, I don't think the average sports fan who just is either incredibly casual about golf or just doesn't watch it all probably appreciates the level to which some of these guys, the PGA Tour, who are competing with, whether we want to go back through time and they're competing with Tiger and Phil, or now if it's competing with Ram and Rory and JT, whatever it might be, there are guys who are playing with them every week who are like grinding, grinding, fighting for their professional life on tour. Um, I think there's no secret that purses in golf are significant, that money in golf is an even greater talking point. But to live a PGA Tour lifestyle, it's very, very expensive to travel from city to city on tight time frames, week to week. And you've got a lot of these guys who you may be in the top 100, 200 best athletes in your sport on the planet it's kind of the dream for for anyone who loves sports imagine if i'm in that position in golf there's a true level of meritocracy or at least there isn't part of the sport it's certainly at the heart of a lot of the changes where that's great you've got the ability to go and win the biggest tournaments to qualify for them to go win them to make as much money as you can but you're also going to find yourself in a spot where you could be fighting to make the cut week to week so that you get paid. So your caddy gets paid so that you keep your job, you keep your card. There's a lot of that, which is very kind of compelling and immediate. Um, It is a sport that it's well-documented the kind of the mental aspect of it. I think there are very few sports where as a viewer, you get to witness someone going through it mentally in the way that you do with golf but yeah, you could play an entire season and you could have a guy have a six footer where he's looking it up and down. It's like, yeah, this is to keep my job. This is to keep my PGA Tour card. And I think a lot of that provides really real and just kind of arresting stakes where it's it's the kind of thing that if you're just like, oh, golf is boring. I think people look past it. I've always liked that as much as it gets kind of knocked and there's this larger idea, which has led to live and all of the discussion around that, that we need to make the sport more interesting, more compelling. I actually think the bones of professional golf are very good. One of the failures of the sport has been, how do you get that out? How do you let people know 
that this is the kind of thing you can engage with on a week to week level, because even on a general human interest level, I find the characters for good and bad over the years in golf, you, you get quite a lot out of it and you get to see them go through stuff and you get to really kind of develop attachments, which are very kind of natural rooting interests in players that I think other sports can only dream of. I think tennis is a good example where they're often grouped together. Maybe part of this is skewed by the fact we're coming out of and in some ways still really in the tail end of an era of absolute dominance where you've got three to four to five at times players who are all-time greats where they're going to show up in any event, one of those guys is winning it. But tennis has really struggled to have what golf has had in terms of we've got the star power, but you've also got what comes next. And there's a there's a way to get people who are hardcore fans invested way, way down the rankings. Um, and it's something that I just think it's there. It's quite naturally there in golf. And that's why I was interested in this series because this seems like the opportunity to tell that story. Whether it ultimately proved to be that, I don't know. You gave a B. Was that your grade? Yeah. I'm going to go a little bit lower. I'm going to go B minus. Uh, I think there are A episodes in this series, but there's also some mm-hmm. that are C minus D, which I guess is part and parcel of how it works. Um, I think some of the shackles of the format don't help it. I'd be interested to see how it evolves. They're currently shooting a second season, and you never know. I mean, with the way streamers have just taken the cancelling stuff mid-production, um, but if this does come back from a second season and guys see themselves or see others and how they're viewed and I guess what the options are for what you open yourself up to and how you might benefit, how the show could evolve. But I think there is a lot about golf that this project was uniquely equipped to open up to people and that for me really are the selling points don't know if it got there maybe in part because of all the other drama around the year that it had to find ways to tell bigger existential stories about the state of golf rather than just being like these are the realities of being a professional golfer and this is the kind of thing that you might find interesting yeah part of my intense fandom burgeoning now could be aging i'm 31 now uh and i'm i'm trying to this summer play more golf than i've played in the last decade uh so there's that aspect but to your point the human drama of golf is just unlike any other sport i mean that's hyperbole but still it's you over a golf ball your caddies behind you next to you and then ropes full of people and then millions watching at home and there's a loneliness from that standpoint that is just great theater. I mean, for example, and this is the kind of thing that Full Swing needs to dig in on much more. And part of that will probably be an access question, but maybe as the golfers themselves are starting to come to terms with their role in helping the PGA Tour solve that marketing problem and solve that interest problem is follow the intricacies of a weekend and something like, uh, and I'm biased in bringing up this because I'm more locked in on it than other golfers, but something like Max Homa at Riviera this weekend where he's standing over that shot um, kind of off into the woods where he's talking through what kind of shot he has to hit with his caddy and his caddy uh, 
was like, can can you keep it that low? And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not even going to have to like work to do it. It's just going to be like the natural flow of my swing. I'm going to knock it just under those trees. And instead, he did not successfully pull off that shot. And you get to see that back and forth. And then the uh, golf Twitter and the broadcasters kind of be like, well, should his caddy have been more forceful and like telling him to just punch out or whatever it may be? And then you get on, on the 18th green. We hear him again where the caddy's like, uh, or I think he hit a shot to the right off the tee, so not in a really good spot. And he needs to par the hole to keep the solo second place, and, you know, that affects the money and how that goes. Um, uh, and he, he, was go- trying, he was trying very hard to birdie the hole yeah, still he, to give himself the, any chance. The caddy says, are we going for three here? And he's like, yep. <laughs> and that's, that's what he did. He went for it, and he still saved par, which was, uh, I think, just the stones on him to, like, have that happen and still go for it. But, um, uh, I guess it not work out, but I mean, that's the, that's the decision-making process where actually because golf is just slowed down enough that you have to walk from one shot to the other, that you stop when you get to your ball and it's okay, what are we going to do here? It's the kind of thing people have always wanted to eat up, whether it's like in the NFL, it's like what goes through a quarterback's head when he's scanning the field, he's considering his options and what goes into decision-making like that is kind of front and center. And it isn't Terry available on every single shot. It could be PJ tour and their broadcasting partners haven't generally done a good job of that. Um, but there's some of the elements that I think in other sports, people speculate over. It's like, Oh, I wonder how he arrives at that decision or how in that moment, does that play out where in golf it's it's honestly right in front of you like the opportunity is there and if if you're ever in attendance on the ground you'll certainly get that experience you get up close to players and you hear players and caddies talk it's like okay well that again is something that's quite unique about golf uh, the caddy relationship in particular is something that i think is maybe not understood by non-golf fans and they just think this is a guy who carries clubs uh which is really the least important part of a caddy's job um, on a professional tour level but we'll maybe talk a little bit more about that when we get into some of the episodes themselves here um let's run through the list of players who i guess are featured i think there's one or two others who i actually think it might be two i think the two players who i'm not going to read here who we see sitting down for conversation at some point are Ricky Fowler and Max Homa. Yeah. I don't know exactly how that worked. I've heard Max talk about that, but I remember Ricky Fowler being in, like maybe they followed Ricky at times throughout the season. And honestly, Ricky Fowler has been in a slide for quite some time. And maybe they just felt like, Oh, we didn't get the footage to do a Ricky Fowler episode. I think my counter, which would tie into my overall feelings on the series is, no, you you absolutely got the footage. If you've got footage of Ricky Fowler, a guy who was former, probably world number five-ish at his peak, one of golf's biggest, most marketable stars, still one of the most famous names and most marketable stars in the sport. If you're following him around while well, he's like down in the kind of 70s, 80s to 100s in the world rankings and he's trying to keep his card and he's trying to find it, that's interesting. Like, let me see that. But those those are the two guys I can think of who we see on camera sit down for the full swing crew without having kind of a featured segment of an episode about them. Those who do get the episode treatment, we get Jordan Speed and Justin Thomas paired together. 
Brooks Kepka and Scotty Scheffler paired together. Ian Poulter gets an episode of his own. Uh, Joel Damon gets an episode of his own. Matt Fitzpatrick and Dustin Johnson, they get an episode shared together, which is kind of interesting and weird. Um, Tony Finau and Colin Morikawa is the same episode, I believe. Although mm-hmm. that definitely leans more into the Finau, or maybe that's just how I came out of a feeling. Um, Saeed Tagala, Mito Pereira. And then, is there anyone? I mean, the final episode's Rory. Is there anyone else I'm forgetting? I'm seeing a list here which says Cameron Young. Unless I've just completely forgotten. I don't remember Cameron Young doing anything for no, the series. No, I didn't. The, the only time I remember a Cameron Young mention is when it, uh, after Rory's uh, attempt in 18 at St. Andrews and they showed the leaderboard. and Rory Yeah, that's, that's about it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um. Okay. What well, first of all, what are your thoughts? Having watched quite a bit of, because this is also this is the thing I was aware of. True Drive to Survive discourse, which is you have people who love Drive to Survive and you have people who love F one, and there is a time of crossover where both of those things would apply to new fans, and then there is a point where eventually it feels like people push back a little bit and they're like, hold on a minute. I've just, I watched all that season and this is not how it played out. You're being really manipulative and it's not necessarily even, I, I don't know. I felt there was accusations of some cheap kind of tricks to, to dramatize things that were probably dramatic enough in their own way. If you just presented it in a slightly less creative way, these things are not unusual. They are tricks of the trade. Um, but some of that factors in here. When you hear that cast list, though, do you think they did well? Did they look out with the right mix of players? What are your thoughts? Is there anyone you would have really liked to see who wasn't there? Um, what do you think about the overall mix of the full swing cast list for season one? Um, 
some hits and some misses. Uh, like JT and Spieth are great golfers and guys that I will pull for on a given weekend if they're in contention. Um, Spieth in particular, I think there was a lot more room to kind of dig into his history because he's a guy that won majors very quickly, very early and hasn't done so in a while. And I think there's a lot more to unpack there. And I think it was just very surface level. I'm very happy for him and JT having their meaningful friendship. I'm glad that uh, they're buddies, but it just wasn't the most uh, interesting from a drama standpoint. I mean, great that JT won the PGA last year. In terms of narrative shaping, obviously they're episode to episode. We're bouncing around with timelines and going back in time to see something that we already saw covered from a different standpoint. Uh, in an earlier episode and things like that. But I don't feel like there was as much manufactured drama as there was in Drive to Survive. Um, I felt like there was much more of that with just sort of some of the the dra- driver battles that they would uh, unpack from uh, timelines there. Timeline manipulation would be the thing I think here. Um, yeah. There wasn't, and I, I think in part because the drama was there in the PGA tour season. Like I don't think they had to go out of their way to find that level of drama and also to get some of the guys shit talking each other and things like that. It just kind of maybe very bad for golf, but good for the Netflix crew. Um, some things played into their hands on that front. Uh, in terms of guys that I think I would love to see moving forward, uh, Tom Kim, no brainer. Like, I think Mm. he's just going to be an absolute superstar on the tour. And, uh, man, I'm finally going to my first golf tournament in a few weeks. As you know, Adam, at Bay Hill, I had tickets to the President's Cup uh, last year and had to sell because I went to a wedding um, that was not in the same state. Uh, And I could have seen Tom Kim just absolutely lay waste to the Americans on uh, on Quill Quill Hollow. Uh, Obviously, you know, I'm a Max Homa fan, so um, seeing him covered in a more detailed way um, would be great. But for me, I kind of, my favorite episode was the Joel Damon episode. And there needs to be more episodes about guys. I don't know right now, because I think the chasing your paycheck on a week to week basis and like trying to carve out a career is one of the more interesting narrative choices as well. And if you have that balance where you're covering the superstars of the sport, but you're also covering the day-to-day grind, I think you have a, a really good series on your hand and something that's sustainable for years and years. Um, whereas you don't have to manufacture that drama like Drive to Survive, where it it's going to be a, it's a living, breathing thing, the PGA Tour, and Guys are going to cycle in and out. You're going to have guys come up from the Corn Ferry Tour, and there'll be new people that rise and fall from that. You'll have guys that are stars right now fall off the pace. As you mentioned, Ricky Fowler, I would have liked to see some of that covered as well because as we saw from some of the best episodes in this series is failure is is watchable. I mean, the Mito Pereira PGA Championship final hole is just absolutely gutting stuff and just... It, it hurts to watch, but it's you can't say it's not interesting. It doesn't hurt to watch as much anymore, but still, um, that's that also golf. Like that, that is, and that's again, we go back to the idea of golf being compelling. It's like 
the way I just feel like more than any other sport. I think if it's if you crumble under pressure in the NBA or in a World Cup final or in the Super Bowl, there is more movement around you. And I think people miss it. It doesn't change it. People may talk about it around the fact, but it's not as glaringly obvious as the whole thing is stopping essentially to look at you. And this is only to you, even in a way that's different to baseball and the dynamic between a pitcher and a batter and delivering in a certain moment. This is, this is you against yourself. Like it is you against the core. Sure. You're playing other guys, but you're really playing yourself as much as anything else. And when guys just get consumed, just eaten up, spat out by the pressure, um, particularly late in majors, guys who haven't been there, it is tough to watch, but there's also nothing quite like that. And it's it's what makes the best players all the more interesting too. The guys who can fight through that or the guys who break through and that doesn't phase them um, are in, instantly more interesting. I I will echo your point to I'll get out from now. My favorite episode is the Joel Damon episode. Um and I, I think Joel Damon they're almost doing a disservice to Joel Damon, with Joel Damon being the oh, this is what a journeyman like fighting day to day. Like that certainly applies to Joel Damon, but Joel Damon is also better than that. Like he is on the episode ultimately shows that, but he is on the the high end of that scale. Um, that's how he ends up in the mix in a US Open having a good finish that's in there and that's central to his arc but there are guys who really don't get there and they are fighting can I crack the top 50 in enough weeks that I'm just making cuts I'm making cuts can I be consistent at making cuts that that's how I'm going to keep my card as opposed to the slightly more high variance well I could come true and I could have a really good week or maybe I could win a smaller event whatever it might be um, I think there, there are more players in that mold, a name that's been trying out a lot, and I think it was it was right there for them because the Joel Damon episode ends up with the waste management uh Phoenix Open clip of Joel Damon and his good friend, and anyone who's really into the PJ Tour will know Harry Higgs quite well as one of the best personalities of the sport. And again, someone who kind of similar profile of player fighting true. That episode opens up with Harry Higgs making a putt and in the craziest environment you can play in all of golf, which is on a Sunday in Phoenix when everyone has had a lot of alcohol, Andrew, a lot of alcohol. Um, and they're all chanting for him to take off his shirt. And he briefly obliges by raising his shirt, giving people a sneak peek. And Joel Damon just goes, you know what? I'm going to take my shirt off and just wheel around the green here. I th- I think if the stuff with Joel and his story wasn't as good, as in his own backstory, um, it would have been cool to have someone like Harry Higgs. I think they could revisit that. But you mentioned Corn Ferry. That's what is maybe tougher to get because you'd have to have a dedicated crew there. But I think if you could have the story of someone who is starting their year on the Corn Ferry tour, leading a completely different life in trying to make ends meet and climb the system where maybe you get lucky you get someone who gets their couple of wins and they get the kind of the rapid elevation to getting some PGA Tour starts like that kind of journey would be interesting or someone who is ending up having to go and play in the Corn Ferry Tour finals to keep their card like we ultimately 
the, the season finishing on, oh, Rory wins the FedEx Cup is, I guess, storybook in a way, but it's also just not golf. You could just as easily finish that on a, or, well, maybe you'd go the episode before, but on someone having to fight to keep their card because that is just as important. And that is honestly, it's like, yeah, okay, over here is where this guy will make $25 million. Um, The flip side of that is you've got guys just really doing everything they can to keep their dream alive, to keep their job. And those things happen at a similar kind of, in a time frame. You could even do some more juxtaposition of those two things um, in a later episode and show the extremes of golf. That's certainly something I would have liked the one other thing I will say, the speed Justin Thomas thing, maybe if you know nothing about golf, the idea of, oh, these are two of the best golfers of the world and they're playing golf together since they're kids and they're like best friends is great. Everyone who's watched golf has heard that like ad nauseum and has seen them be much more open and engaging over the years in different avenues than they were here. Like it, it was recently. really <laughs> very recently. They, you mentioned no laying up. Um, they went and played a Kapalua with the guys from No Laying Up. And you just you see more of them immediately. And it's not not about, oh, let's dive deep and do backstory. Just from them talking, you get a better sense of who they are. It's more interesting. The most interesting Justin Thomas friendship is Tiger Woods. Yes. <laughs> and Tiger is obviously the person that they don't get here. And who knows? Maybe down the line you could land Tiger. And that's the thing that puts this in a completely different stratosphere if you got a Tiger episode. But that's the Justin Thomas relationship you want to dive into. Um, not even getting into the more topical elements of that over the weekend, but the entire the dynamics of their relationship are kind of fascinating on multiple levels. Um, the live balance, I guess we'll, I'll have to try and give some sort of live explainer for anyone listening who does not know about professional golf. And it's like, what's live? Uh, live is a... Uh, a breakaway golf tour that has been bubbling up for probably about 18 months, rumblings of this happening. Um, the Live Tour is funded by the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia. I feel we are okay in saying that now because in their ongoing legal case with the PGA Tour, within the last week, they applied for sovereign immunity due to their ties to the Saudi state. So there is no real ambiguity about that. Um, Liv has emerged into the world of professional golf as a colossal disruptor, using those state funds at their disposal to create massive purses for limited field events and to try and entice players away from the PGA Tour. If we, for some reason, had a live spokesperson on the show here, they would probably be quick to point out, no, no, we don't have a problem with the PGA Tour. We'd happily have players play in the PGA Tour too. It's the PGA Tour who have the problem with us, and they won't just let our players freely go and participate and just go back and forth between the two things. Why is that? Essentially, the PGA Tour is built by, going back to the days of Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicklaus, the players is owned by the players, is run by the players. Um, it's not run by the players in as kind of obvious a one-to-one -one way because, well, they are professional athletes and they're trying to win golf tournaments and have the best career they can have. But when it really boils down to it, that is 
what is going on there. Um, I think it's fair to say that players have not been exercising their control and using their voices in the way that they could have in recent years. I think particularly in the kind of post-Tiger Woods gap, um, the vacuum left there where you got a lot of really good players, young players coming through, but you don't have this kind of central force that just makes the whole thing tick by itself. And that created an opportunity. So you have Liv coming and offering certain players, you know, nine-figure sums to come and play Liv golf tournaments, on which, to be frank about it, are 75% of the time really shitty golf courses for tournament golf for professional players. Um, in the US, the vast majority of these golf courses are owned by former President Donald Trump, or at least affiliated with him. And with that, there is a whole obvious undercurrent in a political sense to um, who has co-opted Liv and I guess the the belief that, oh, no, this is a good thing for the sport and there's the obvious sports watching implications. To go further than that, it is a closed system. It is 54 players. They play 54 holes, not 72 holes, the traditional number. Um, everyone doesn't play the course 1 through 18. They implement what's called a shotgun start where Everyone tees off at the same time on a just a random hole. So you could win the tournament on, I don't know, the fourth green as opposed to the 18th green where golf courses are designed the way they are for a reason. You generally, you know, design a a challenging or a risk reward closing hole. You design your course in a way where it's set up for drama late on. Liv has done away with this. They are very much painting themselves as the young and fun league. And honestly, true to promotional materials, I just cringe every time I see it because it's so far detached from that by trying to be that. Um, notable defectors so far, Phil Mickelson at the forefront of it, getting himself in plenty of hot water with his on-the-record, off-the-record comments about the scary motherfuckers, in his words, that are um, the Saudi state and the people behind live. Dustin Johnson, probably the first really high profile still peak of his powers player to leave um, Bryce DeChambeau Brooks Kepka, guys who could have made claims that pretty recently but honestly over the past two to three years have become largely irrelevant beyond their own hatred of each other because I think both of their bodies have just broken down um, due to their pursuit of speed and power and a lot of the things that made them great and Bryson wants to use a club head off the tee that's as big as an anvil so he's been working on that in the lab well the, yeah we don't need to get too sidetracked on that but one of bryson's requests for uh, he is now looking for a new equipment partner uh is he wants a driver that he can hit the ball anywhere in the face and it will produce a perfect drive that's which, how physics th- work adam <laughs> don't we all want that bryson i would love to be able to hit the ball anywhere in the face and get a perfect result that seems great uh, would also see counterproductive to making competitive golf an interesting spectacle. If everyone was just hitting perfect drives, regardless of where they hit the ball. So, I mean, that aligns with the vision of live, I guess, uh, where yes. you truly don't care too much about competition. Yeah. So a lot of the things I think that we talk about, about the charm of professional golf, um, the idea of cuts, the idea that whether you're the best player, you're the worst player in a field, you start with an, even opportunity and you could be making a lot of money or you could be making zero money. It doesn't matter who you are coming into a given week. 
Um, Liv is not built on that. So it has attracted a lot of post-prime players, to put it kindly. Um, the one really big fish more recently was Cameron Smith. Won the Open Championship last year. Really emerged in 2022 as someone who is right in the mix for the best player in the world. Still a very young player with a lot of career in front of him. Uh, he made a decision which, I don't know. I don't know how it will hold up. We don't need to unpack all of this too much further. Bart say, things already do not seem very rosy at live, and I don't know how long the runway is going to be for this thing. And then, if that proves to be the case, I don't know how reconciliation would come about or what the next phase would look like for a lot of the guys who jumped ship. But the specter of who are Liv going to go after, who's going to live, is very much a dominant team in this series. Which I think, on the one hand, this was like a series that the go-ahead for this came from the PJ Tour. You have to get their permissions to be on site week to week. And I give everyone a lot of credit that Liv is a real present factor in this. That The PJ Tour are like, no, we don't want to give them any oxygen. Let's just ignore that. Let's cut out players who left and let's just tell a PJ Tour story. I think it's better for that. Um, we got a Brooks Kepka episode where Brooks Kepka is still on the PJ Tour and we're essentially building to him leaving. We get an Ian Poulter episode likewise, where Ian Poulter is really struggling on the PJ Tour, and we get to see him wrestle with uh, his interviewers in his home about, yeah, well, I guess these are the pros of it from my perspective. How did you find the live handling of all of this? The one thing I should add also is um, one of the players for many months who's been rumored to be joining Live Golf, and so much so that it's just a formality, and yet it hadn't been announced was Mito Pereira. Mito Pereira is the subject of the penultimate episode of Full Swing. Uh, when did the Mito Pereira live announcement finally arrive after all those months where everyone knew it was happening? It arrived on the day that Full Swing dropped on Netflix, which doesn't seem like a coincidence. Um, a lot of that pettiness has been at play. But the live handling, Andrew, what was your opinion of that and if you're capable if you could zoom out and imagine you weren't someone who's fully kind of clued in on the ins and outs of all of this how would you have felt about that does it make it more interesting or do you think if you're just getting a grasp of the world of professional golf for the first time is that too inside baseball uh, does the show even have I guess the bandwidth necessary to fully break down. Like I've tried to do it there in, I don't know, five minutes and it's honestly near impossible. We could probably do five hours and still only scrape the surface. So how did you find all of the live stuff handled in the show? First of all, I don't know why that explainer was necessary because people just won't shut up about the four aces. Anytime I'm scrolling Twitter, even if it's <laughs> you know pe- people that listen to our movie podcast or the bugs or the brewers, it's just the four aces, four aces, four aces. Uh, that being said, that I, is a I bit. Think... That is a bit, by the way. The people who yeah. do know golf will get um, <laughs> more uh, more of a range uh, goats guy myself. But continue, Andrew. That that's the one good name, the range goats. That's a that's an objectively good name uh, and logo. Hate hate to see it, but it is. Um, <clears throat> yeah, all very surface level, I think. Um, and I think if you're coming from a perspective where you don't follow golf. Uh, it's it's not gonna be as like damning it as it is if you know golf because 
when you watch these people in hindsight, knowing what we know now about uh, the schedule and some of the people that are suing to play more events in either the European tour or the PGA tour, or whatever it may be, a lot of the comments that they make on this show come across as disingenuous. Brooks Kepka going on there and saying like the thing he cares most about is winning and like, you know, winning majors and winning tournaments against the best players in the world. And then now you see him going to live. I mean, it just makes all those comments ring hollow and also people talking about, well, they offered me a lot of money and I got to take care of my family. Uh, we saw a person that cares about taking care of his family and Tony Finau and Tony Finau staying on the PGA tour. Um, I mean, I respect Dustin Johnson out of all of them basically being like they pay, they're paying me more money to do less work and do the same job. And would I make the same decision if I was in his shoes? Probably not because you definitely I mean, would not. I will, I will speak for you. Uh, uh, you have, you have made, you know, decisions based on moral implications on much smaller things in the grander scheme of things than that. That's fair. Um, but to me, the human drama that we talked about, the week-to-week grind, uh, the best players in the world doing insane things with a golf ball is part of, I'll use that word again, what makes it compelling for me. But golf, more than any other sport to me, is what it is because of the history. And some a lot of that history is uh, littered with problematic aspects. But the history of the courses, the majors, the events, St. Andrews means something. Augusta means something. Uh, Carnoustie, Pebble Beach, whatever. Name course XYZ and throw it in there. And winning a golf tournament with the highest stakes against other, like the other best players in the world is what makes golf and the PGA Tour what it is. And going out for a shotgun start team competition with uh, one player that has a shout at best player in the world and cam smith and then a bunch of guys past their prime and a bunch of guys that were never going to be anything yeah, also just some field filler like which yeah. we haven't really mentioned but there's quite a bit of that in the 54 like if you want to do that for obscene amounts of money sure i get it but also that it means you do not care about winning at the highest level and you gotta acknowledge that and you gotta admit that otherwise you just the the comments just come across as disingenuous i mean phil said the quiet part out loud and now has receded into his turtle shell uh to a degree um even though he'll he'll make a comment from time to time like he hates joggers on the golf course not a fan um uh the the pants style not uh people running um uh, who was it that wore those a lot, lots yeah. of people. I mean, just Thomas Warnham, Eric Van Royen famously wears them very regularly. Sam, Sam Ryder was the guy that was in contention. Sam Ryder was the one. Yeah, okay, that's spark.com. Yeah. So, from that standpoint, going back to your original question, I think full swing only touches the surface. Whereas if you watch it, um, like not knowing anything about golf, you're like, oh, oh that guy made a decision and he's gone. Uh, but us knowing what we know, it's just like, watching these guys talk out of both sides of their mouth, kind of. I think it's very fair to the people who go to live in its depiction. And I think generally it just kind of gives them the rope and they do the rest themselves. And that's, that is kind of how the situation played out for a lot of these guys. You're right. I, I mean, DJ is not 
compelling as a personality, never has been, and maybe maybe in the right context. I don't know if Matt Fitzpatrick is the guy to compare DJ to because he's so quiet and he's just so about his business. I guess that is a different energy to DJ. But I, I like if you put DJ and Tony Fino side by side, like I that's real polar opposites in a lot of ways or I don't know. You could maybe get a more kind of rambunctious personality and add into the mix too. Um, you just you see a lot of the stuff that. I mean, I watched the Brooks Kepka episode, and it's completely apparent for all of the reasons, like on the course, off the course, how Brooks Kepka's life has brought him to live golf at this point, and just how doesn't he just wish he was a baseball player too, and it hates that he, he was well, the best he, at golf. <laughs> he does, he does. That that has always been his thing. Is he wants to play a real sport? I guess is how he'd view it, and he's always had envy of that, and when he started racking up major wins, like I think part of probably the the thing that he loves about that is you couldn't kind of you couldn't turn on an NBA game or an MLB game without seeing, oh, Brooks Kepka's in the building, he's got the trophy with him. And then after the games, like all the players want to take pictures of him. He's just hanging out with, you know, what he would see as real athletes. Um like, but all that within that, like, ultra competitive guy, like, that's he is a full on, I'm an athlete, that is his whole attitude. And he, he did treat golf like that and got great success from it. And his body started to fail him. I mean, I don't want to dive too deep into it. I think there are moments that tell so much about his not low profile marriage, um, and just his general life, like, with all his family members, the dynamics there are really interesting is an uh, interesting way of putting it worth noting his brother Chase Kepka is also in live Chase has been a a guy who I guess spent most of his career on the Euro Challenge Tour getting some European Tour starts not really making an impact trying to make it on the PGA Tour not really making it there Um, and I guess there was some sort of package deal a true Tanasis onto the Kupo situation, really is. Yeah, I, I was. I, I don't was, think Rowan gonna... has listened to this, so I, I hope not. But there's there's some Tanasis vibes there, except honestly, it's probably more extreme. Um, Tanasis is more playable in an NBA setting than Chase Kepka has probably proven to be in the PGA Tour. Um, but for example, that was an episode where there's just a lot of it. And you're like getting a sense of this guy and also what he's going through in terms of trying to come to terms that his body is just failing him. He he overnight went from, oh, I figured this out and I'm now the most dominant player in this sport. And you know what? That is probably a way of being a professional golfer that Brooks Koepka would happily live with, of being like, yeah, well, I'm the only real athlete here, so I'm just going to dominate all these guys. That got away from his game, just abandoned them. Um, and you kind of see the... You see the cogs turning in his head where he was famously someone who came out and just completely tore through the idea of live and who would want to do that. That's not what I play sports for, only for a few months later to do exactly that. And you can kind of see in the episode the progression that will lead him to that point. Poulter is an interesting one because I think Poulter, from the moment he sits down, he probably has this on his agenda. And... I don't think there's anything inauthentic to who Ian Poulter is that comes in his episode. 
Um, even when he's doing something that is performative for the cameras, I do think part of that is like just who Ian Poulter is and has been his entire career. But he says a whole lot in there that doesn't make the move look very good. They also include the footage from the first live press conference for the tournament when uh, Poulter and Lee Westwood, I think Sam Horsfield is the borderline kind of just random guy sitting between them at the press conference when a journalist asks, like, is there anywhere in the world you would not go and play for money? Like if Vladimir Putin puts on a tournament tomorrow, are you going to go and play in it? And Poulter's just like, no, it's that's hypothetical. I'm not going to answer it, which is just such a terrible answer to that anyway, which is like, oh, if it wasn't hypothetical. Um, a lot of guys just, they pushed dealing with any of that down to take the money and for what suited them at their point in their career. Um, I don't know. I kind of wish the Spectre loomed a little less and it, in going forward like I don't feel like this year in the PGA Tour which we'll get onto in a minute that it is looming right now it's just kind of like PGA Tour is going about his business and the product is better in part because they've forced some changes um, but also because there's some real clarity to a pecking order and to the kind of players who are the best in the world and there's a clear kind of rising class too and it just makes for interesting viewing Um, to talk about some of the episodes we did like for me, the two standouts are clear. It's the Joel Damon episode and the Tony Fina episode. I just think guys that they got the good stuff on camera, like they got some really good footage of them throughout their season. Um, and they also are just interesting individuals who are very easy to cheer on, who have like endlessly interesting stories. I was familiar with Joel Damon's kind of own battle with cancer and his history with his, his losing his mother to cancer. I don't know if you were going into that. He's the kind of guy where maybe not everyone was. So like seeing that showcased and having him speak about that and kind of put his approach to life and to golf and everything into context, I think was really, really affecting viewing and really, really good TV like to, to cheapen it to the point of what it actually is. I think it, it worked. Um, and then you get him and you like, when I talk about, wouldn't it be great if you had a corn fairy guy trying to make it and the balance of that, the fact that the Joel Damon episode brings him to the longest day in golf where he goes to us open sectional qualifiers and he plays 36 holes to try and make it to the us open. And he stinks in the first round. And then he has a couple of drinks at lunch. Basically, as he weighs up, will I even play the second round? Then he goes out and shoots 67 and makes the US Open to then find himself leading the US Open after 36 holes. And, you know, he doesn't win it, but he never blows up either. He kind of stays in the mix. Like, that's that's a dream arc, particularly for a player like that. Um, Tony Vino, I mean, his story, they don't even really get into. They don't have time to get into some of the origins of his story and I guess him and his brother being early golf reality stars on, I believe it was called the big break and essentially being these two young guys who would go and almost hustle people for money um, to kind of be able to go and play golf and enter tournaments and get their career up and running. Like just a completely fascinating guy in his journey. And I think someone who was just very instantly and openly likable, I, I always find it difficult to understand how people root against Tony Finau. He's exceptionally good at golf. And when he puts that together, there's no one quite like him. And even when he hasn't put it together, he is 
he is a money machine. Top fives, top tens, the kind of things that could be taken for granted. He's really good at. There are the two episodes for me. Was there anything in those or any of the others that you found interesting? Yeah, Joel Damon is a guy that obviously I've heard on podcasts before, but never really registered his full story. And I think that was just uh, an episode where if Joel Damon wins anything, I'm going to be just pumped. Um, So, yeah, a Joel Damon fan was born in me with that episode. I mean, going out and just like slamming a few white claws and then shooting a 67 is just great great television adam uh he seems like a guy who's life of the party and uh obviously good friends with my favorite golfer max homa so got to see a little bit of homa in that episode which was one of my other issues with the series is you know i just wish i got more max homa i'm I'm hoping and thinking maybe next year i mean he's had he's had a good start to the season so i think i think this is that they missed the season to get max homa because Max Homa has had the trajectory of being a guy just trying to put it together and it not quite working. And he exploded last year. And this year, he might just be one of the top five best players in the world. Um, Maybe retroactively, you could tell some of the story in a way that's really interesting. But some of the absolute best moments for him came in 2021 and 2022, where that's, I think, where you want to capture I mean, he's such a likable and interesting personality anyway that I don't think you could go wrong. People enjoy watching an episode. I certainly will. But yeah, I for think... like narrative purposes, I wish they had him last year. Uh, I think there's one way that you save the narrative, or you... there's one narrative to tell with Max this year, and that's if he's in contention at the U.S. Open in Los Angeles because he's the California guy. And I think that can be the upper level of interest in a guy who's already reached new heights um but yeah the damon episode's great obviously his backstory with his his mother passing away from cancer and then him uh surviving cancer and then some of the the self-doubt aspects and the the mental aspect of golf and the way it plays with your mental health in general also his uh relationship with his caddy gino is just great um uh enjoyed that female as well well, if you ask me who my favorite golfer is, I'd say Max Home. If you ask me who my second favorite golfer is, I'd say Tony Finau. And so that was only strengthened by this episode and just the love he has from his family, like the where he came from and the long odds that he faced to become uh, an elite professional golfer. Um, so I, I like that. The Rory episode left me a little cold. There's were some bits in there where I like seeing Rory kind of take on this role as the playing leader of the PGA Tour. Uh, well, not playing because Tiger still plays in events, but obviously Rory's still a guy who at his best can win the best events and still be elite. And I, I think this is something that needs to continue going forward, but Rory embracing that and and wearing the Roblo PGA Tour hat and being a ambassador for the future of the tour is a good thing but it also at the very end of that episode came across as like <laughs> I'm uh I'm doing some disingenuous party line walking where he's like yeah the FedEx Cup is as meaningful as winning a major and it's like well I don't think anyone thinks that Rory but uh the money's nice and it's a trophy so it you know an accomplishment consistency every year and all that but 
Um, I'm trying to think if there are any other, I guess Mito Pereira is someone that I was feeling, uh, in the episode, feeling a lot of empathy and sympathy for as he imploded, uh, at the PGA. But in hindsight now, he's got a big bag of money that he can sleep on to comfort him. Um, I think it's a shame that, uh, he's leaving the tour when, uh, I, I guess I want, I really wonder if he wins that event. I mean, obviously still. If he wins that event, does that change and make him more loyal to the tour? Do you think, or does no, it not matter? Definitely not. Definitely not. That's the. Go- I mean, that was the golden ticket for guys. Like I, I don't think Cam Smith has left the BJ Tour if he doesn't win the Open because yeah, that gets you your free ticket. You're in the majors for a few years, so you don't need to be on the PJ Tour. And hey, if this thing blows up, my major eligibility should carry me through that, and hopefully there'll be a resolution at the other side of it. And that's the thing that someone like me to prayer. Like a guy like that may never play in a major again because what's your That's... game gonna look like post live? What how sharp are you gonna be? And if like honestly the end outcome for this for all these guys might be the PA Turgo, okay, well you can come back. Uh you've no playing rights, so you've got to go and earn starts somewhere, earn your card on the corn for each or whatever it might be. There's guys who will do that no problem, and there's also older guys or younger guys who have now stifled their development with this decision where I don't know what their career would be if it does blow up. This is going to sound harsh, but just the Pereira decision now, just it's pathetic to me because you're a guy who was in contention on a ma- in a major last year. Was that his first year on tour? Yeah, he was a Corn Ferry sensation the year before. He got two then, or three Corn Ferry wins in quick succession. And then you you blow it. Well, the, the now, one thing, I'll, I'll push like... back on this with one thing immediately, right? Because this is also the Cam Smith decision. And it doesn't like, it doesn't mean I agree with this, but this is the perspective of a lot of the guys that Liv have got who are not done. Like the the good players who are relatively young, who they would have all the reasons to stick on the PJ Tour. They're overseas players. They're not from the US. Mm-hmm. They spend all of their year having to live in the US, play in the US. Their whole life has to be focused around the US. Because the PJ Tour has increasingly, I think, shown less interest, kind of the demise of the World Golf Championships, which used to bring the game to other countries. For example, you see World Golf Championships in Ireland. Tiger came and played here at Mount Juliet. Um, the demise of that has left, for example, if you're an Australian, one of the world's greatest hotbeds, because it's tough logistically, because it's tough time wise, despite the fact that they have some of the world's best golf courses by far. Like there will be a lot of people who would argue Royal Royal Melbourne is the best golf course on the planet. If you're Cam Smith, it's kind of like oh tough shit. If you're on the PJ Tour, you're never getting to play there. Like you can go and play a couple of Australian Tour events, the Australian PGA, whatever. Um, you're gonna make very little money for that. It's gonna be a pain for your schedule. And honestly, the shift the PJ Tour has taken to protect itself, designated events. And the obligations for players to play a certain number of events, their schedule would only have made that worse. So I think if you're an Australian guy, which to add to Cam Smith, I mean, it goes down the levels, but Mark Leishman is also a very notable player, kind of your mid tier top 30, 40 in the world, consistently kind of guy, someone who could have won a major at any time, probably win a PGA tour event most years. He also went those guys Liv is going to pander to them and they're talking about we're going to get events 
in Australia, but also beyond that, we're going to have fewer events. We'll have events in Asia. If you want to base yourself back home, you have the opportunity to do that. I get why that appeals to people. I don't know if that'll be the leading thing for me. I get why that appeals. And for Pereira, the same, basically the whole contingent, and this was intentional, Liv went and they targeted the South American guys, the Mexican guys, basically the Spanish-speaking contingent on the PGA Tour. So in that same category, and honestly better players, you get Abe Anser, you get Joaquin Neiman, they also jump to Liv. Um, Sebastian Munoz has gone there. So you've got a Mexican, two Chileans, uh, Munoz, I believe, is Venezuelan. There's, I mean, Adrian Alategue, Sergio Garcia as, as Spanish natives. And this is something they've looked to do. Again, it's like, okay, if you don't want to be there all the time, we're going to give you a path to do that. The flip side of it is none of these guys worked their ass off to become professional golfers because they dreamed of playing Trump Bedminster. Like, against some true plumbers and firemen at the bottom end of the field and some guys who are past their prime. So I, I don't know, but I, that's the one thing I will always put out there. I do think like that part of it has to be heard for the international guys who the U.S. is the center of professional golf, even though it is not the center of the golfing world. It's not necessarily the place with all the best tournaments. Yet to be the best, and to be clear, this is like for if you want to be Cam Smith, you want to be the world number one. The answer, you can't just be like, oh, well, he should go and play some Asian tour events if he wants to do that. Or play some DP World Tour events when they're kind of playing in the Middle East or if they've any co-sanctioned events with Australia. The world ranking points would be so bad in those events. You can't do that and compete at the top level and get into majors. So I, I think there's probably some resentment for a lot of those guys that their hand is being forced in a way where a game that could be more global than it is was truly, really, really insularly American. There are lots of international players who like that, and they go and they move to Florida or they move to Phoenix, and that becomes their life and they embrace it and they're very happy. There are also some who don't, and I think that is something that's come up here. So that's my one my one really defense I will ever offer up. I don't know if that would be enough for me to make my decision, particularly given the source of the money I'm taking and a lot of the baggage that comes with that. But that is part of why someone like Mito Pereira at a young age is making that jump because all the other guys, all of his friends are making that jump too. And that's, I guess could be if it's successful, that might be the pathway for South American golfers. Like they may just never land on the PJ tour because all the guys they look up to are live. Well, Cam, Cam Smith is the one I understand the most because he still gets to play in majors for the foreseeable future. Mito goes, blows the PGA, gets cut at the US Open, gets cut at the Open, and then takes the money. It just seems like, oh, I'm not good enough for this. I'm going to take the easy way out and the money and go play on Torque or whatever the team name is that he's on. Like, it just seems like a loser mindset. Sorry. I, I don't disagree with that. I, I wouldn't be doing it, but I, the actual good players who've gone, like beyond the starry names, Liv has done something quite clever and they have exploited something that was an existing problem for the PGA Tour. They've tapped into the resentment that was there. So and beyond yeah, part of that is definitely on the PGA Tour. Yeah. Beyond the kind of the journeyman PGA Tour guys who've cashed in like their lottery ticket that they didn't deserve here or the past their prime European Ryder Cup stars and whatever. There is a 
there is a part of the field. And I think some guys who could make a lot of money if this thing stays up long enough, like, I don't know if Mito Pereira will. I think Joaquin Neiman could win a lot. Abe Anser could win a lot. Those guys could just stack up wins against guys who are nobodies. Uh, does it actually do anything for their profile? Does it give them a chance to some point down the line, whether there's consolidation or one of these things disappears, whatever it is, build a legacy in a meaningful way? I I honestly don't know, and I lean towards no. But I I know why it's happened. I don't agree with it, but I can see why they've done it. And I could sympathize that the situation wasn't tailored to them in a way that it makes it as black and white as, for example, if you are Taylor Gooch being the best example of an up and coming young American, Max Homa's best friend, and someone whose career could have had a Max Homa esque trajectory in the PJ Tour. It's like, what are you doing? Like, I, <laughs> you're American. You've just kind of put yourself onto this weird global tour paying bad golf courses. You weren't high enough up in the world rankings that you're going to safeguard your major status for very long. What are you doing? What is the outcome? And I mean, he's someone who became a punchline because he gave a lot of quotes on this, which quite frankly, were unbelievably dumb. Just came across like a moron about it. But like, that's the guy who, if you say to me, what is his reason? Money. Money is it. And there's nothing else. There's no other good reason for him to go there. If you say, Adam, how does Mito Pereira, Joaquin Neiman, and those guys, there is a different thing because they are not American where the best tour in the world is already in their home country. When Bubba Watson gives you a call and says, I've got a Range Goats Letterman jacket with your name on it, you you pick up that phone. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Is, is Terry Gooch on the Range Goats now? According to this updated Wikipedia page, yes. Well, the see the Range Goats are brand new. That's a new team. They just gave a new name to and whatever. So, what was was it a rebrand or did they add a team? Was it expansion? No, that was did a that was a re Bubba. Or did Bubba have a team of his own? Because Bubba was another weird one because he was the, injured. Everyone Bubba knew he signed the deal or something. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. He's got his his Dukes of Hazard car. Like Bubba, for all of the things that I don't like about Bubba, Bubba's always also been like a very likable guy on a human level where. He really loves his family, cares about his family. And you're like, okay, there's some element of his priorities being in order. Like there have been moments in his career where that's come out. And there's other times you're like, God, this guy's an asshole. Um, but I guess people will lean one way or another. We've done way too much live. Let's do some PJ Tour to wrap this up. Because full swing kind of sets the table. And if people are new to professional golf or new to the PJ Tour, they have some impression of, okay, this is what it is. So I guess the season really starts at Century Tournament of Champions at Kapalua in Hawaii on January 8th. Um, if we're going to be technical, the season starts on the 18th of September. You get what's called the wraparound season. Some of the top players will just take these tournaments off. Um, you're generally lower purses, not necessarily as glamorous venues. Um part of, I guess, the reworked PGA Tour schedule to combat live over the next two years will certainly provide greater clarity to the wraparound schedule and possibly hurt those tournaments in a major way. So if you're a regular attendee at Sanderson Farms Championship in Mississippi, it's going to be a tough break for you. Um, but if we're to take the season as a whole, the PGA Tour has got to be static with how things are playing out. The wraparound season delivered some really good winners. You got a Max Homa win, a Tony Fino win. You got Rory winning the CJ Cup. 
Um, you got someone like Tom Kim very quickly after his breakout at the President's Cup going winning in Vegas at the Shriners. So you've got kind of proven stars, rising stars, top tier players going, being successful. Uh, you come into the season proper. John Rahm wins tournament of champions. Two weeks later, he wins again at Amex. And as we record this, he's just won last week at Riviera. He won the Genesis. So he has three wins in six weeks, seven weeks, which is rare territory. We are talking Prime Tiger, maybe VJ Singh competing with Prime Tiger. Scotty Scheffler, certainly last year when he had his hot streak. Um, and in addition to Ram, you've already had a Max Homo win at Farmers. You've had Scotty Scheffler win the Waste Management. Um, and I guess your two lower profile wins and your lower profile tournaments, you still end up with someone like Siwoo Kim winning the Sony in Hawaii. Siwoo Kim, a very talented player. And uh, Justin Rose winning a Pebble in the Pro-Am. This is really good. <laughs> Everything is shaping up very well. The designated events are working. The last two weeks having our first run of back-to-back -back designated events where essentially all of the top players are going to be there and playing in a way that there wasn't that continuity in schedules before have delivered really good tournaments and top, top-tier winners. Uh, when they drew this plan up, this is certainly about as good as they could have hoped for. Um going into something like the Honda, it'll be interesting to see what kind of feel the Honda gets was never the greatest feel to begin with. It could be really rough now. And, but then you're right back into, okay, Bay Hill, Arnold Palmer, designated event, top field. The week after that, the players at Sawgrass, biggest event, non-major of the year on tour. Um, couple of weeks after that, the match play. And I think part of this that is going to be better. You're getting all the play top players together, which is the goal here. But it means for the casual fan or for people dipping their toe in, you know what? You don't have to watch four nights of golf or even just watch the Sunday golf every single week. This is something you can dip into every second week and you will see the best players there over and over again and hopefully get familiar with them. So I think with the outcome so far and also with just how the schedule is shaping up, basically from here, truth to the Masters, PG Tour have got to be ecstatic with how the season started. And honestly... This is the momentum. Like the first live event is next week of the season. And while live has taken its break, they're kind of getting left in the dust by the PJ tour. Got to see what channel the CW is on my uh, cable package. Um, yeah, I don't even I, know I've... if it'll be on linear. That's that was part of that. Just, I, I know you're making a joke, but it is worth noting. Liv did finally get a TV deal after being on YouTube last year, which YouTube was a very good move for them strategically. Make it free, get an audience, you're a new product. Like, give people free sports, and you might get an audience, you might have something. Um, I don't think they like people laughing at them having to give the product away for free, so they pursued desperately a TV deal. The best they could get was the CW, and in line with some of the reporting, I mean, CW have uh, some contractual obligations that would predate live where live may not be on linear tv it might just be oh it's the final round of this live event uh dustin johnson and cam smith are going head to head and the only way you can see it is on the cw app like that's possibly what those guys left the pj tour for um yeah 
I've I've enjoyed the beginning of this season, and I I think what Rom has done is setting up for a potentially really special season for him. I mean, the thing about him is he's just never not like around, even if he's not gonna win a tournament, he's thereabouts, and he's that that has to be terrifying for if you're leading a tournament uh, on a Sunday and Rom's like even just like three or four shots back. You, you you worry that the the shark smells blood in the water and he's going to, I'm the second time I've made that reference uh, on oh, different podcasts again. I did it again, Adam, where I'm uh, conflating two podcasts into one. Um, and obviously this is a Ryder cup year as well. Um, right. And so that'll, where, where is that this year? I can't remember. Is Spain? Is it Spain? I don't know. Uh, I the Ryder cup, the Ryder cup is in Rome. Yeah. Just outside. So of Rome. Me and Adam will be heading to Rome together to, to watch the Ryder cup. But uh, yeah, this is like as 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 good as they could have hoped. A start. I mean, just the the names of the established current stars and the rising stars winning events, and then you've got like you said that runway of other interesting events going into the Masters, and then uh, you've got the PGA and is it Rochester, and then. U.S. Open in L.A. and then the Open in Liverpool, just a, a spring and summer of why even the most casual fans love golf, the, the history and the magic of major tournaments. And there are going to be endless storylines going into each one of them. You know, Tiger has said that his plan is to play in all the majors. I mean, if if, Ty, if Tiger's made the cut and is – just like even within shouting distance of a lead on Saturday, on a Saturday, I mean, the buzz is just going to be electric or wherever they are, even if his, you know, his body is letting him down and he's really having to, to fight against it, um, to, to stay in the race, so to speak. So, yeah, I mean, it's like I said, I haven't followed golf this closely in a while and, uh, I'm excited to follow it and hopefully see it in person a few times across the course of the season as they go to Orlando and and Charlotte and uh, even Greensboro. Maybe I'll go to the more limited field event uh, in Greensboro as well. And Wendell Mule uh, get some good players. You should, you should go. I've been encouraging you for years to get down to the window. It's always on like Sarah's birthday weekend, so I need to yeah, that's tough. have it have to playing uh around the more important event there in my life but i i think i think i can make it work not a not a long drive to greensboro from here but well what uh, wells fargo is is designated now so you have no excuse for not getting to quail hall you probably do you've probably got multiple events already locked in for that weekend but if not you should set that one aside right now yeah I, I'm, I'm gonna do my best um that doesn't we'll sound, see doesn't sound good <laughs> There are dog complications that are that are oh, okay. weighing in that weekend, but it's you know I I find a way from time to time to get to an event, so it's it's on my radar. All right, I think that's that's it, right? Any any final thoughts? Excited to see your season goes. We will talk more golf, and it will be detached from a Netflix reason to do so. Um, maybe not all that far away. Maybe in a few weeks we do something around the players' championship. But uh yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. Fun to talk about and we'll keep an eye on all things professional golf and there will be more chat over the course of the season and beyond. Uh what are we doing? I'll make time for this next week. 
That is a great question, but I meant to I, ask you yesterday. Well, I kind of have something in my head I want to talk about. I don't know if we should do it, because I one, I don't know if you've got the homework done for it, or even if you could. I saw I saw Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which I believe is its full and proper title, um, last weekend. And I just kind of felt nothing. And I quite like the Ant-Man movies. And I really, I think we're at the, I, I think this thing is over. I really think this thing is over. Not in a, oh, Marvel movies are going away and people are going to see them. But I do think in the, this is the dominant mainstream entertainment of movies. And maybe we should talk about that. Because if that is the case, honestly, theatrical movies could be over. There might be a gap there that doesn't get like plugged immediately and that could be the end of it. Um but I also I think there's something interesting when you look at okay, what the studio slates look like, what's worked last year, what seems to be getting buzz, how are streamers reacting? I don't know, Andrew. Are, do you have any interest? I don't know if anyone really has interest in this but me in doing a state of movies episode. Because I, I think there's some there's some meat on the bone. Before we get into I it's probably good timing as well because after that we'll be previewing the Oscars very soon. Then we'll be sharing finally our our own top 10 lists for 2022. This is true business end of the year for us. So is it time to knuckle down on Caption Cellular, do state of movies, Oscar preview, and then our 10 favorites for last year? What do I have to watch for this next one? I don't know. Like, I don't know if you actually have to watch anything. I mean, would it be beneficial if you... But I'm also representative of part of the audience that you're talking about. That's like if if I'm not going to see a well, see, it's, it's also yeah, that's that's true. I mean, that speaks to it. But it, well, I said I say it's Ant-Man. you like that it's excuse. Not... <laughs> no, but that is true. But it wasn't just seeing Ant Man. And I should say, like uh, people who listen, probably know, I'm not the world's biggest MCU guy. I liked the Ant Man movies. They're probably some of my favorites in it because I'm just like, oh, these are just a perfectly good time in a low stakes way, and I can get aboard with this. The trailer for the new Shazam movie played before too, and I was just like, "This is this looks terrible, terrible," and you've got all the baggage coming with that. I don't know. I just really, I think the bubble has burst. The air might just seep out of it very, very slowly. I don't think this is going away, nor should it go away. Um. But I do think that what what superhero movies had, I think is over. I really do. I I don't think we're going to reach a point where, for example, um, Marvel mega fans are going to be screaming from the rooftops about things Martin Scorsese has said again. Because I I just I don't know if those worlds are going to continue colliding in the same way that they had before. I could be wide of the mark, but it's just. It's something I thought about with the way the box office shook out generally last year. And then when you go see something like this and then you're greeted with all of the superhero trailers before it too and you're kind of like, what's going on here? There's more. There's there's more to this that I, I don't want to, you know, don't want to spill yeah, now because it could be for next week. But are you on board for this? You let's don't necessarily that. have to do viewing. Let's unpack that. Let's check in on The Last of Us as we approach the... Uh the stretch run of that and let's mm, i don't know why we might, not 
you're trying to. We're not going to have wriggle. a full hour of that conversation, are we? Oh my god, you're you're deeply underestimating me. Uh, well, this this, I, this could my be talk a long time. Is going to be like five minutes. <laughs> uh, it's it's going to be like if it's going to be like uh, if you asked me for. I don't. I don't even. I don't even know. I can't even think of a comparison. Listen, we'll we'll work this out. But I I don't know because we might we're late enough in the last of the season now where I guess uh, a wrap up episode on that will be coming. I we could see we could see next week if we dip in. But next up, we we'll make time for this. We're going to talk about the state of movies. We're going to talk about our superhero movies, not as relevant as they once were. All of that kind of stuff. Until then, make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You should also check us out on Repod. Um, you can find us on joinrepod.com forward slash make time for this. That is a place you can listen to all of our episodes if you want a, a non-Apple, Spotify, whatever your podcast platform of choice is at the moment. Listening Hub, if you want somewhere that's just a little bit more intuitive, that's a good app. There, Everything is going to be sentry there. You can keep on top of things. Repod will do that for you, but it also gives you the make time for this room where you can go and check out what we've posted about our latest episodes. We can have a back and forth. You can share your thoughts and other listeners can chip in with theirs as well. So make sure to check that out. And that's it. Thanks all of you for listening. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Adam. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.